Let me express to all of you what a joy and privilege it is for me to have an opportunity to come and share with you this morning. Someone much wiser than I said many years ago that one of the advantages of growing old is that you can hide your own Easter eggs. <laughs> and having reached that particular point in my life, I thank so much Jay Cooper today taking a chance on me and inviting me to come. When he invited me to come, I told him I wanted to preach about weddings today. But I'd overlook the fact that some of the poorest communication we've had in all the world exists between husbands and wives. Bishop Roy Short served for many years as the Episcopal leader in Kentucky, and he said throughout his ministry, he had always kept a note of the most interesting inscriptions that he'd ever seen in cemeteries. He said, in all those years, there were two that stood out the best. A dear husband had placed at his wife's grave, marker which read, she lived with her husband for 42 years and died in hopes of a better life. <laughs> and then he said, there was a dear wife that had placed at her husband's grave a marker which simply said, rest in peace till I come. <laughs> I would be remiss today if I did not express a word of appreciation to Dr. Jay Cooper and the wonderful staff of clergy and lay here at First Methodist Church for the modest way they've led us over the past 20 months. It's been difficult for all of us, but we appreciate so very much their leadership. I have two special guests with me today. Having been born and reared in a small country church in rural West Alabama, I've always had great admiration for brothers that I've known across 50 years from rural Chilton County. Wayne Atchison, sitting here on the front, was a sports information director at the University of Alabama for 20 years. Coach Paul Bryant, Paul Bryant hired him and he got promoted and today he is at the Billy Graham Library as a historian in Charlotte, North Carolina. His younger brother, Randall, is with us today. He's a world-renowned pianist. He's played for presidents and first ladies down through the years. He had presented concerts at the Notre Dame, Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. And he is going to be playing at a concert. Our foundation is sponsored tonight at 6 o'clock at the First United Methodist Church of Prattville. I asked him to come this morning and wake you up before I preach. And Randall, you did a great job doing that. And for that, I'm grateful. Would you please stand for our gospel lesson? Two days later, Jesus' mother was a guest at a wedding in the village of Cana of Galilee. And Jesus and his disciples were invited too. The wine supply ran out during the festivities and Jesus' mother came to him with a problem. I can't help you now, he said. It isn't my time for miracles. But his mother told the servants to do whatever he tells you to do. And six stone water pots were standing there that were used for Jewish ceremonial purposes and held perhaps 20 to 30 gallons each. Then Jesus told the servants to fill them to the brim with water. And when this was done, he said, dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. And when the master of ceremonies tasted the water 
that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, he called the bridegroom over. This is wonderful stuff, he said. You are different from most. Usually a host uses the best wine first, and afterwards, when everyone is full, then he brings out the less expensive brands. But you have kept the best for the last. This miracle of Canaan Galilee was Jesus' first public demonstration of his heavenly sent power. And his disciples believed that he really was the Messiah. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks you may be seated. I dearly love weddings. And one of the greatest joys of serving as a senior minister of First United Methodist Church of Montgomery is that you have an opportunity to officiate at so many weddings. This beautiful Gothic architecture, this sanctuary, these magnificent stained glass windows, this magnificent organ, this senile makes this a perfect setting for a wedding. And after the years, I have officiated over a thousand weddings at this altar. And one year ago today, I officiated at the wedding of my oldest granddaughter, Hannah and her husband, Sully, who are now living in Houston. Down through the years, people have asked me, what's the most memorable wedding you ever had? Well, I remember all of them. But I can share with you one of the most unusual weddings I had. I was serving as a minister at First United Methodist Church in Bonifay, Florida. A couple in that church invited me to officiate at their wedding. It was a beautiful wedding, but at the end of the wedding, when the best man handed me the marriage license, it said, Houston County, Alabama. I was puzzled by the fact that they did not have a Florida license. And I called a judge who was a member of the church, and I said, can I marry someone in Florida who has a Alabama license? And he said, no, you can't. And I said, well, I just did. <laughs> and I called him back and said, what can I do? He said, you can get them to ride with you up in Alabama. And when you get off across the line, you can have this wedding again. <laughs> so after the ceremony and after the reception, the groom got on the front seat, his wife. The bride had a long, glowing bridal gown, and she was on the back seat. And on the way north, I remembered a big cedar tree on the west side of the highway, just across in Alabama. And as I saw that cedar tree, I pulled my car up to it, had my headlights on it, and we got out of the car, and under that cedar tree at 9 o'clock at night, we had the second service. <laughs> there were college students headed to Panama City that night, and when they saw us under that cedar tree, they didn't know what in the world was going on. <laughs> and they blew their horns, and they slammed on brakes, and they, they yelled a lot of things, I hope, with encouragement. I didn't understand all of them. <laughs> but on a more serious vein, I share with you today that I'm very excited that in a very few weeks, that couple that I married under that huge cedar tree on the Florida-Alabama line, will be celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. I love every aspect of weddings. And over the last few months, I've been thinking a lot about how often in the Bible we have images of weddings. 
to reveal eternal virtues or truths of God. And today I want to briefly share with you three of these. First of all, we have a wedding in which we learn a lot about grace. You know the story of Jesus turning water into wine. It was a huge wedding. Not only had they invited all the disciples, they invited Jesus himself, and they invited Jesus' and mother Mary. And you know the story of how they ran out of wine. And the servants were told to pour into the jars. Water in each jar handled 25 or 30 gallons. Think about that. And with the touch of Jesus Christ and the miracle that he performed that day, we learn a lot about grace. Grace is God's overflowing love and unconditional love and spontaneous support for each of us in our lives. And when we experience grace in our lives, something dramatic and all kinds of miracles take place. In the little country church where I was born and read, I heard a country preacher tell this story years ago, but I've never forgotten it. He told the story about the skeptic that one day went to this devout Christian elderly man and asked a question. Do you really believe that Jesus Christ turned water into wine? And there was a long dramatic pause and the elderly man said, I don't know if Jesus turned water into wine, but I do know this. I was a hopeless alcoholic. And Jesus Christ came into my life and by his transforming love, I was transformed as someone who will serve my neighbor. I can testify today, I've seen the transformation of Jesus Christ, not only in alcoholics, not only in drug addiction, but I've seen it in all walks of life. Martin Luther, the leader of the Reformation, said years ago that all of us need three conversions. We need a conversion of our heart. Each of us needs a conversion of our mind, and all of us need a conversion of our pocketbooks. And during this season, when you're discerning whether you're going to pledge to the church, I want to share with you several personal thoughts. Number one, of all of the churches that I've ever been privileged to serve, I've always found that the happiest people in each of those churches has been those that are generous. And in sharp contrast, I've learned through the years, of all the churches I've ever served, the unhappiest people that I've ever known are those that may be called stingy or hoarded their resources. When we think about grace, we also think about words that come from that root word, grace. We think about gracious. We think about graceful. We think about gratitude. Beautiful words. But in contrast, if you think about miser, what do you have? It's a root form for misery, misery, miserable. People that hoard their resources oftentimes are the most unhappiest people that I've ever known. Brendan and I visited with someone several weeks ago that lives hundreds of miles from here. A very wealthy man, as we begin to leave, the man said, I want to tell you something. God has blessed me more than I ever deserved. I'm ill now. 
But I got a call the other day, he said, from my lawyer, and my lawyer said, why don't you go home and make plans to give away so much of your wealth in your lifetime? Don't wait till you die and put it in a will. Give it away now where people can see and you can see the fruit of your labor. The man said, I'm going to go home and do that. And then my first gift is going to be to the local church. Tithing to the church is a financial decision. But let me tell you something else. Giving to the church is a spiritual decision. But Jesus Christ said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And our hearts follow our pocketbooks. And I would encourage you today to be generous to your church. That's another image of weddings that we find in the book of Luke. It's the story of the marriage feast. And obviously there were people that were going to the marriage feast during those days that wanted to call attention to themselves. They wanted places of honor, Jesus said. They wanted a VIP section. They wanted to be known that they were there, they were seen. And Jesus said, in essence, in that parable in Luke, don't spend your time concerned about that. He says specifically, you select the lowest seat. And in a sense of humility, he said, he who exalts himself should be humble, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. John Bailey said years ago that we need to always remember that the word humility comes from a Latin word, humus, which means fertile ground. And when you think about fertile ground, we think about soil that is dark, overlooked, sometimes undeveloped. But when a seed falls on that particular ground, it nourishes. And when people surrender their lives to Jesus Christ, it always nourishes our spirits as well. I heard this story years ago about this young seminary graduate. He just had graduated from seminary. He, he was in his first appointment and he was asked to do his very first wedding. Like any young minister like that, I've been there, I've done that. He was nervous and anxious. He wanted to make sure he did it right. And so often it's the case, a bride called the minister, called him and asked him. She said, I love so much that passage in 1 John about love. And I know I'm going to have some anxieties about my first years of marriage, and I would like so very much. If you would just read during the ceremony, 1 John 4, 18. Now that's simple. But on the night of the wedding, the, the minister was so nervous and so anxious, and he opened his Bible, and he didn't open it to 1 John 4, 18. He opened it to the Gospel of John 4, 18. And there he looked at the bride and said, you've had seven husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. <laughs> now there's a difference between humility and humiliation. But I say to you today, when we have humble hearts, 
Humble heart, not proud hearts. When we have humble hearts, Jesus Christ can work miracles in all of our lives. The third and final virtue that I want to lift out from these weddings today is hope. I like those words of South Pacific, Randy. I'm stuck like a dope of things called hope. And I can't get it out of my heart. We are people of hope. We are people that celebrate the risen Christ. We are people that are Easter people. We never should forget it. In the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, that's a beautiful passage. A certain John had been exiled to the island of Patmos, and while he was there, he had a vision, and he wanted to offer a word of support to those Christians in Rome that were being persecuted and killed by the Emperor Domitian. And as he came near the end of that particular letter, he wrote, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Think about that. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And several things were spoken that day. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the end. And in that passage of Revelation 21, we hear the voice of God saying, Death shall be no more. Mourning or crying or pain shall be no more, for the former things have passed away, and all things have become new. Isn't that beautiful? In closing today, I want to share with you something that I love about this sanctuary. When the High Point, North Carolina, stained glass window, But in this particular stained glass window, it was dedicated on April the 21st, 1941. Now think with me about that date. I believe with all of my heart that the Holy Spirit worked in the lives of the designers of that great stained glass window, telling the history of the church and also the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. For the very top, the apex of that particular stained glass window, there's a Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, standing on the seven scrolls from Revelation, a symbol of the triumphant Jesus Christ who's gained victory over despair and death. Just underneath that Lamb there's the Alpha and Omega, familiar Greek words, when the same passage in Revelation 21, Jesus said, I am the, the risen Christ says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And then in the very center there's Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, with the words that Christ, peace I give to you from John's gospel, peace I give you, not as the world gives unto you, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, let me tell you what I believe. I believe that when they dedicated this church when the, on April the 21st, 1941, people seated like you in this congregation today, they had lived through the terrible Great Depression, horrible depression.
And when the people that received this congregation back then came out of the Great Depression, there was a tyrant by the name of Adolf Hitler that was seeking to conquer the world. If you think about April the 21st, 1941, it was just a few months before the United States got engaged in World War II. And there were sons and some daughters from this congregation going off to war, some of which never came home. And I believe that the design of that particular front stained glass window was a way of all the darkness and discouragement and all of the pessimistic things that happened to the people through the years. And he wanted to clearly define that amid all of our struggles in life, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, triumphants. That Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he shall reign forever and ever and ever. Amen. Several years ago, there lived in Jacksonville, Florida, a famous minister. A famous poet, his name was James Weldon Johnson. He had a great appreciation for the book of Revelation and all the symbols. And when he came to the end of his life with a great appreciation of this final book of the New Testament, he held his Bible high in the air and said, I have seen the answers in the back of the book, and God is going to win. Having experienced all the struggles he experienced in life, with a great appreciation of the book of Revelation, James Weldon Johnson closed his book after saying, I have seen the answers in the back of the book, and God is going to win. Amen.